And I'm your host, Kat Bean Hansen. Welcome. We're glad you're here. This week's message was originally given on November 8th, 2020. Pastor Emma Peterson delivers a message for Veterans Day. I'd like to begin this morning um, with an invocation and a blessing. Um, in place of opening words, I thought it may be nice um, to just express a little bit of prayer. So I invite you uh, to move into a spirit of prayer or reflection or meditation, and I offer these words to you this morning. Spirit of life that breathes through every living thing, we sing your praises on this beautiful November morning. We gather together to give thanks today for the democratic process, for the power of one person, one vote. We give thanks to the poll workers and the vote counters and each and every citizen who exercised their right to vote and all those who came before us who fought to preserve our right and to extend it to every citizen, and for those who fought this time around to continue to combat voter disenfranchisement. We give thanks and praise for the process of democracy and for our ability and our willingness to participate in the process. This morning, too, on Veterans Day Sunday, we gather together to recognize and to give thanks for our veterans. We acknowledge those currently serving in the United States Armed Forces. We recognize those who are overseas and those who are now on our own soil, knowing that at any moment they may be called up and away from their homes and their families. We take this day to acknowledge the sacrifice of every person serving in this country's military. We acknowledge that those who serve do so with a full understanding that their dedication to our nation's safety means sacrificing their own personal desires. Indeed, there is no such profession where the loss of one's autonomy is so total than that of the American soldier. Those of us who have not served can never understand the experience of serving. The horrors of war are concealed from us. The lack of control over our own destinies suspended because of those who volunteer on our behalf. The total nature of the sacrifice can never be grasped. And for that reason, we owe our gratitude and our reverence to all those who have sacrificed so that we may be spared from doing so. Today, we give praise and thanks for the democratic process. Today, we thank our veterans. We pause to honor their service. Today's worship is dedicated to them. Amen and blessed be. 
In preparation for my message this morning, I found myself needing to acknowledge a bit of my own ignorance. I truly don't know very much about military service. And what I think I know is likely rooted in my own prejudice, stemming from articles or think pieces about predatory recruiting practices, failures of veterans affairs to provide adequate health care, and a general typical Unitarian Universalist distaste for war. UUs have long maintained a somewhat uneasy relationship to our country's military and by consequence to our veterans. We tend to put our individual ideals of peace and nonviolence before our gratitude and our respect for those who have willingly served in the protection of this nation. I myself have struggled to comprehend the totality of those who serve in our, the totality of the sacrifice that those who serve in our military make. One of my most recent podcast obsessions is seen on radio, and that's seen as in a scene from a play, S-C-E-N-E, seen on radio, broadcast from the Center of Documentary Studies at Duke University. The, th the season three series, Men, episode six, is entitled Warriors, and it unpacks military service in America. The first half of the episode focuses on the challenge of the American military in adjusting to women serving in historically male military roles. The bulk of the episode focuses on the stereotype that men are warriors and are therefore more suited to combat. None of this struck me as particularly revelatory until the narrators shifted to discussing the totality of what enlisted military personnel give up when they cease to be civilians and become members of our armed forces. People enlisted in the American military don't retain the same political and legal freedoms that the rest of us enjoy. In 1890, the Supreme Court issued the Grimley decision which declares that enlisting in the military fundamentally changes one's civil status. In the decision, an analogy is drawn, and remember, this was in 1890. That analogy concerns the status of a woman who becomes a wife. She relinquishes all previous standing as an individual citizen and becomes, in literal terms, property of her husband. Again, this was in 1890. Likewise, a soldier is property of the state. Those who enlist in the military sign a binding contract unlike any other, one where they sacrifice their civil liberties and become beholden to the system of the military, to the military's courts, to military law, and to military police. The American military is the only institution in this country that is legally permitted to issue such contracts. The, uh, the um, comparison that is drawn in the podcast is, uh, imagine if Walmart uh, issued similar contracts to its employees saying that once you became an employee of Walmart, 
you were only allowed uh, to bring up legal concerns to Walmart jurisdiction, or you were only allowed uh, to speak out against practices by Walmart um, with specific permission from your supervisors. The American military is the only institution in this country that is legally permitted to issue such contracts. This realization alone began to illuminate to me the extent of the sacrifice those enlisted in the military make on our behalf. For the good of the whole is a frequent refrain of mine in the effort of building community. Nowhere is this ideal achieved more completely than in the armed forces. Here is a breakdown, not of the total, but of some of the sacrifices individuals joining the military make in this country. Military personnel are barred from speaking out against, criticizing, or openly protesting their commanders, the president, or the government. If a soldier wishes to do so, they must first seek permission from their commanding officers. Military personnel must do the job they are asked to do, not the one that they may consider to be most congruent with their passions and their talents. Military personnel must cut their hair in a style chosen for them and wear the uniform issued to them. Most importantly, the state, not the soldier, owns the rights to their life and bodily integrity. The state determines where personnel will live, where they will work, and whether they can come or go from any place at any time. Can any person who has not served this country even imagine the extent of such a contract? Can any of us ever truly recognize the total and complete sacrifice of those who choose to join this country's military ranks? In the same way, we can never fully understand the life experiences of others, even if our own are similar or somehow related. I don't believe that civilians can ever comprehend the totality of the sacrifices made by American soldiers. And so the next time you spot a soldier in uniform and you pass them by with a thank you for your service, which yes, please thank them, Reflect on the weight of that word, service. It's totality, it's all encompassing contract and the sacrifice of those who choose to sign so that you or I could live our lives as we please. One of the concerns I've heard regarding thanking veterans for their service is that it is in many ways an empty platitude because the bare fact is that this country has failed and continues to fail to properly care for our veterans. There are currently over 20 million veterans in the United States. The rates of PTSD and depression among our veterans, especially those who have recently served, is staggering. The National Council of Behavioral Health reports that 30% of active duty and reserve military personnel deployed in Iraq and Afghanistan have a mental health condition requiring treatment. That's approximately 730,000 men and women in need of medical care that they cannot or will not access due to stigma.
Less than 50% of returning vets in need receive any mental health treatment. And the Veterans Administration reports that approximately 22 veterans die by suicide every day. Further, 11% of our country's unhoused people are veterans. 45% of those unhoused veterans are Black or Latino. Perhaps I was unaware of the totality of the self-sacrifice our military makes because if every one of us were aware, we'd be rioting in the streets every time a veteran found themselves unable to afford their medicine, even with their VA benefits, or lost access to their housing, or suffered without treatment with crippling mental illness, or took their own life. The sacrifice the members of our military make is nowhere near balanced by the care and security and gratitude expressed by the nation they relinquished their own freedoms to protect. And while Unitarian Universalists may have reservations regarding the brutalities of war and the problematic nature of massive military spending, spending that is obviously not going to the protection of our vets, we can certainly extend our respect and our gratitude to veterans. Our vets are not the military machine. Our vets are people, people who we as Unitarian Universalists believe have inherent worth and dignity from the jump. People who we as justice seekers and peace bringers should be fighting for because they literally sacrificed their autonomy to fight for us. I'm reflecting today on what it means to be a patriot. A patriot is a person who firstly, loves, supports, and defends their country and its interests with deep devotion. A patriot also is a person who regards themselves as a defender, especially of individual rights, against presumed interference by the federal government. On Saturday morning, after arduous days of counting, of witnessing democracy working, the presidential election was called for President-elect Joe Biden. This election was historical, to say the least. We witnessed higher voter turnout in this election than in any other election in American history. We, as a nation, fought back against tyranny and literal fascism. And we did it with the power of democracy. We did it with our votes. This election saw some of the most laborious and consistent efforts to end voter disenfranchisement for black and brown people since the Voting Rights Act. Not the disenfranchisement didn't fight back just as hard. We watched people, mostly black people, stand in line to vote, sometimes for 10 or 11 or even more hours. We watched polling stations close and gerrymandering do its worst and still the people voted. We as Unitarian Universalists, as justice seekers and peacemakers have much to celebrate today. You use love democracy so much 
we affirm it in our fifth principle. The right of conscience and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and in society at large. We perhaps love patriots a little less. The label of patriot has perhaps been confused with the label of nationalists. You can love this country and criticize it because you are a patriot. You can fight to change the way things are done because you are a patriot. Patriots are people who are devoted to loving their country, to insisting that it be better, to protecting its sovereignty, and to protecting its citizens from powers that be that wish to cause our collective disenfranchisement. Let me tell you something. Hear this now. Veterans, all of them, are patriots. Veterans, all of them, are protectors of our democracy. Poll workers and vote counters, all of them, are patriots. Those who chose to vote, regardless of who they voted for, are patriots because they are engaging in the process through which this country created and sustains its foundation. Every person who stood in line for hours and hours and hours to cast their vote is a patriot. Every person who worked to ensure the integrity and the fairness of this election is a patriot. And we Unitarian Universalists, lovers of justice and seekers of peace, can and should be patriots too. Friends, I must admit, and this is my own personal experience, that I watched the celebrations in DC and New York and Philly with jubilation on Saturday morning. I felt as so many of you did, the great exhale of the collective breath. I felt hope and joy and a sense of security I have not felt for years and years. But I want to end my message this morning with an urging. Already, I am hearing calls for unity, calls for healing, and calls most particularly for forgiveness. Washington will indeed need to find some way, despite deep ideological divide, to come together in the coming years. That is their work. But please, I beg of you, don't rush our collective healing. Urging Black people, immigrants, and LGBTQ folks to forgive what is real and present dangerous hatred simply isn't a good look. Do not diminish the still very raw and very real feelings of fear and mistrust and uncertainty among us. Do not assume that because democracy has been preserved that the racism, sexism, Islamophobia, and xenophobia that courses through the veins of this country has been magically flushed out. There is still so much work to be done. Recognize the divisions in this country have not magically disappeared overnight. Please don't ask me, a queer woman, 
or anyone else to kiss the feet of our oppressor. Indeed, it is the aim of the oppressor to rush forgiveness without the work of atonement. I hear the calls for unity. I hear the calls for healing. And this is my response. I will continue to do the work of healing for those who are wounded by the violence of racism and bigotry. I will continue to listen to black people, to immigrants, to the disabled and to the queer. I will remember that their fight is my fight. And while the path towards freedom has been protected and opened for travel, we've got miles and miles and miles to go. We, bringers of justice, believers in peace, we will fight for justice till kingdom come. This nation this week exercised the power of democracy. There is much to celebrate there, but let's keep fighting to make sure that all people, because there are still thousands upon thousands who do not, let's keep fighting to make sure all people have access to the vote. Let's keep urging our elected officials to protect and to uphold all of our civil rights. I am begging you, I am pleading with you, do not get comfortable just yet. Yes, let's celebrate. Let's breathe in that deep centered feeling of relief and joy. Let's feel that joy. Feel that incredibly unfamiliar feeling that maybe, maybe things could be all right. That maybe, maybe the powers that be will remember their call to care and for, to care for and to protect the residents of this country. But please hear this, especially if you are white, if you are straight, if you are cisgendered, do not cease the fight. We've got miles to go, miles and miles and miles. Beloveds, you are called to be bringers of justice. Beloveds, you are called to love mercy. Beloveds, you are called to be healers and uniters and beacons of peace. Beloveds, we are made for this moment. Beloveds, we are made for these times. Justice, peace, justice and peace. Amen and blessed be. This has been the Sunday Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists. The music is by Nathan Moore. If you want to learn more about the CVUU, visit our website at www.cedarvalleyuu.org. And you can also find us on Facebook or Instagram at Cedar Valley UU. We welcome visitors to attend our online services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you'd like to learn more about joining us for a service, send us an email at cvuupodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.